Welcome to our first audio video tape on YouTube. Obviously the coronavirus has had an impact and so we're now swapping from audio to doing the video as well. So welcome to our new series. Today we're looking at Mark chapter 6. We're actually looking at the whole issue of people who get persecuted. And we're looking at how Jesus was treated by those who knew him well in Capernaum and those who knew him as he grew up as a young child. So does persecution happen much? Now in the 20th century, Christians were persecuted by very uh, many different governments. We find that the Armenian genocide, we have the Assyrian genocide, both around the time of World War I. As well as this, we've had atheistic states like the Soviet Union, communism, Albania, uh, the northern uh, Korea, uh, or where persecution of Christians has been quite common. So let's look at Jesus and return to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says that he came to his hometown, his disciples followed him. Now this is quite different because as Jesus grew up, they would have known Jesus by himself. Now he has a group of 12 men who follow him. Now scripture presents to us two towns. There's Capernaum where Jesus did most of his ministry. And we compare that to Nazareth where Jesus grew up as a child and to adulthood. Now Capernaum was a main town of Galilee, one of the most prosperous and most crowded districts in all of Palestine. Now, most of the chapters of the New Testament describe the time he lived in Capernaum, from his baptism uh, through to Jesus' last week of his life. It's here that Jesus chose his 12 disciples, mainly from this area. Now, five of them, Peter, Andrew, James, John and Matthew, came directly from Capernaum itself. Now, the other disciples all came from around different parts of Galilee. The only one who did not come from Galilee is Judas Iscariot, because he's the one who betrayed Jesus. Now, where's Capernaum? Capernaum is located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Although Capernaum was a small village, it was near an important road that led to Damascus. It was a good place to meet and to influence people. Now, when we look through Mark's Gospel, we can see Jesus' impact as he came to Capernaum. So back in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says, They were astonished at his teachings as he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And it's in this village that we find in Mark 1, verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. Now you can imagine how this news would have spread throughout the whole of Capernaum and the surrounding villages. So we find in Mark chapter 2 verse 3, they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. They could not get near him because of the crowds. So they removed the roof above him and they lay the paralytic down at Jesus' feet. Now when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So they're all amazed. And it says, everybody there glorified God and said, we never saw anything like this. Now let's turn over to Matthew's Gospel, to Matthew 5, verse 18. It says, Saturn came appealing to Jesus. Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home and is suffering terribly. Lord, I'm not worthy to come under the roof but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them who followed him, Truly I tell you that no one in Israel has such faith as this. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now it's in Capernaum that Jesus healed the nobleman's son in John chapter 4. We find in nine, uh, Matthew 9, the synagogue's ruler, the ruler's daughter, was brought back to life here. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 1. At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
So yes, people talked about Jesus in Capernaum, but the news traveled from person to person to person to person. Now it says in Matthew 14, uh, Matthew 4 I should say, it describes Jesus leaving Nazareth and settling in Capernaum. In Mark 1, it describes Jesus teaching and healing in the synagogue. In Luke 4, it describes Jesus teaching regularly in the synagogue. And we find the Bread of Life discourse by John in John 6 is also done here. Now, although Jesus was warmly greeted by many of them who were there, we find that Bethesda, which is less than 10 kilometers from Capernaum, and Corazon was a short walk from Capernaum, the people obviously changed their heart about Jesus at some point. Because in Matthew chapter 11, it says, Woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethesda. If the mighty works had been done that had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So obviously some people accepted Jesus, but there's also massive conflict still there. Now it says that Jesus visited Jerusalem many, many times. But it's here that he was crucified, he died, was buried and resurrected. But Jesus actually spent very short intervals of time in Jerusalem itself. Most of his ministry was carried out in Capernaum. Now, Nazareth was but a day's journey from Capernaum. So we find in Luke chapter 2, Mary, Joseph and Jesus returned to Galilee to their own hometown of Nazareth. Now, what type of town was Nazareth? John 1 uh, verse 46, Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it was obviously a town that had a bit of a reputation. So what's Nazareth like? Well, it's about 400 people live there. It's about 25 kilometres from the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it was only a day's walk to Capernaum. From the, there, Jesus was upon his first miracle, the changing of water into wine at the wedding in Cana. So we find in uh, John 4, 46, when Jesus at Capernaum asked to heal the son of a royal official of Capernaum. Now, when we look at the, uh, the Mark 6, we see that Jesus hits conflict with the people who do live in Nazareth. But this is a, a, obviously not his first visit. Now, if we turn to Luke chapter 2, I'll just read some of it to you. It says, On the synagogue, on the Sabbath, I should say, he began to teach in the synagogue. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. As he grew up in Nazareth, many of the locals would have known the stories about him from birth. The positive being the wise man's story, the story of the angels, the story of being blessed. The negative was, who was really his father? Because nobody knew. So when he stood up, in uh, Luke there, it says in verse 17, he was handed the book of Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then Jesus sits down to preach. He looks out at the congregation and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it says that all people spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now, some said, isn't he Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what you've heard they did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Very powerful and impactful words. And obviously a crowd that loved Jesus is now thinking twice about what Jesus is saying to them. He goes on to say this, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years 
and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zareth in the region of Sidon. Now there are many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Nahum the Syrian. Jesus is obviously pointing towards the fact that his gospel will go way beyond the Jewish nation. So what did the people do? In, re- in response, the people in the synagogue were furious. They were furious what they heard from him. They obviously changed their tune about him. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him to the brow of a hill and where the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. We now turn Jesus' preaching to a life and death story. But it's interesting, verse 30 tells us what happened. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Now we find in uh, Mark chapter 6, Jesus returns to Nazareth. So there in chapter 6, verse 3. When they're talking about Jesus, they now say, Is not this the carpenter? Now this is not a compliment. It's a way of pointing out that Jesus had no formal theological training. He had no formal discipline to be a rabbi and had no real reason these 12 men should be even following him in the first place. Now, carpenter was actually much broader than one who works with wood. It's the idea that you work with stone and a whole range of things. The next thing they do is they describe him now as the son of Mary. Now, the first time, the reading, they said he was son of Joseph. But why call him son of Mary? So there in Luke 2.22, isn't this Joseph's son? That's the first time. Now, son of Mary, it's a contrary to Jewish usage because you'd always refer to a son as being the son of the father, not the mother. And even if the father dies and the mother is a widow, you would still refer to the son as that of the father who is now dead. So we find that there are obviously being implied that maybe there's rumours about who Jesus' real dad was, therefore son of Mary. It's actually quite an offensive way of referring him. He goes on to say that Jesus has his brothers, James, Joseph and Judas and Simon, and his own sisters are there, and they say they took offence at him. And Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honour except in his own hometown, among his relatives and in his own household. In verse 5 he goes on to say, And he would do not mighty works there. God may work with no belief, but not with unbelief. I think it's harder to present Jesus to someone with apathy than somebody who's an atheist. See, in an atmosphere of critical coldness or bland indifference, the more spirit-packed the utterance, the more you will fall lifeless to the ground because of the anger that people have. If people would come together to see no other point of view but their own, then they'll see nothing but their own point of view. It goes on verse 5 and 6 to say, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. So that's the first part we look at. We've been looking at uh, what happens to Jesus. He's in his hometown where he should be loved, and yet he's rejected. In Capernaum, where lots of people loved him, but even there, he had his critics. What about you and I as Christians? Uh, yes, we're told to love God with all our heart, soul and mind and love our neighbour as ourselves. But some of our neighbours will not be liked being loved by us. It says that you and I will face conflict. So the second part of my sermon, 
I'm going to look at persecution of believers. So let's just grab a couple of verses. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, says Jesus. When Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because the righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you and I need to ask ourselves, how are we to respond when people do give us a hard time? How will we respond when people persecute us? In Romans 8, 35, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sort? In other words, you and I will face these type of hardships. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then Romans 12, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So what does it mean for you and I? One of the most favourite uh, psalms that people have is Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, you are my rod and staff, and they will comfort me. We have persecution today. Uh, if you're a Christian living in North Korea, you regularly will face death or imprisonment. I want to encourage you by this story that goes back to the Roman Empire. And it's called the 40 Martyrs of Sebasti. Now, the 40 soldiers, who were all Christians, were all members of the famed 12th Legion of the Roman Imperial Army. And one day, their commander told them that the emperor had said that needed that all soldiers must offer sacrifice to the pagan gods. Now, this was the way the Roman Empire tried to keep itself uh, consolidated as a unit. Now, these soldiers replied, You have our armour and even our bodies. But our heart's allegiance will always belong to Jesus Christ. It was midwinter, AD 320, and the captain then marched them out onto a nearby frozen lake. He made them take off their uniform, their undergarments, he stripped them of all their clothes and said that they could be there naked and they would either die or deny Jesus. Throughout the night, these men huddled together singing songs of praise. 40 martyrs for Christ. One by one, the temperature took its toll and each of them fell to the ice. At last, there's only one man left. Sadly, he lost his courage and stumbled to the shore where he renounced Jesus. The officer of the guards who'd been watching all this, unknown to the others, had secretly decided that night he would follow Christ after they'd seen the example of his men. When he saw the last man break rank, he walked out on the ice, threw off his clothes and confessed that he had become a Christian. When the sun rose the next day, there were 40 bodies, 40 soldiers who had died for Christ. Why is Jesus so important to you and I? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, what's the trouble with our world? We go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. You and I are called to be faithful in a godless world. 
We're called to be faithful in a family that may laugh at us. We're called to be faithful with friends who will sometimes criticise us for our beliefs. You and I are here to serve God. We're not here to please the world, but to please him. You and I need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on this world. You and I are called to be faithful, holy, godly, in a world that rejects truth. We are to be the light. We are to be the way and reflect who Jesus is so we speak and give him honour at all times. Amen.